Welcome to episode 104 of the Civil Engineering Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping civil engineering professionals succeed in work and life. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano. I'm a licensed professional engineer who practiced as a civil engineer, but eventually decided I wanted to focus more on inspiring engineers rather than doing the engineering myself. So since then, I've written a book called Engineering Your Own Success and have traveled the world helping engineers. And through this podcast, myself and my co-host, Chris Knutson, try to bring you information that you can use in your career. I've also had the honor of authoring the American Society of Civil Engineers Careers and Leadership column for the past few years. Now, here's a short preview of this episode in which I'll be speaking with Anthony Atanasio, Vice President and Senior Program Manager at AECOM on many things, including connected and autonomous vehicles. What do you want to be when you grow up? I don't know. I'm an assistant commissioner now, and right. I'm loving what I do. I don't know what's next. And what's next came to me, the Utility and Transportation Contractors Association, uh, who had worked with me. And I think a lot of folks in life can learn this lesson. It's, you know, you can disagree with people. It's how you do it that will lead you to your next step. My co-host Chris and I both believe that in order to be the best civil engineer you can be, you must consistently get better. Get better at your craft, your people skills, and as a leader. And that's why we publish this free podcast to help you do just that. In this episode, I'm taking you with me to the offices of AECOM, where we're going to sit down with Anthony Atanasio. I'll be asking him about his career, which has spanned both the public and private sectors, and he's been in some very high positions, and he's got some really interesting stories from those experiences. And of course, as I said before, we are going to talk about connected and autonomous vehicles, and it's not just about cars driving around with no drivers. It's much deeper than that. In fact, Anthony tells us we may not get there for a while, but there's already things going on today really interesting stuff. And he's just a great guy. I saw him on a panel at a conference. And within a few weeks, I was in his office because he was very receptive and open to having me in and talking about these important topics. Anthony is a member of the leadership team that oversees all of AECOM's transportation business lines in New Jersey. His individual responsibilities include setting and managing the company's geopolitical strategy, tasking advocates and maintaining relationships with the state's transportation agencies. He represents AECOM with several industry associations, including the American Council of Engineering Companies, Utility and Transportation Contractors Association, and the New Jersey Utilities Association. Before we get started here with Anthony, this is a free show and our sponsors help us to keep it free. So please support them. I'd like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, PPI, by asking you, have you been looking for a way to advance your engineering career? Stick around later for my exam prep tips and tricks. I'll be sharing info on where to find the best resources to prepare you for your licensure exam, including an exclusive 20% discount available only to our listeners. Thanks to our sponsor, PPI. You won't want to miss it. And I also have a brief message for our listeners out there. If your firm is looking for management training, people skills training, how to make your managers more productive, that's what we do at the Engineering Management Institute. And while we have programs like the Engineering Management Accelerator that we run regularly throughout the year, we also custom design training programs using our proven process. We start with an assessment of your staff. We help to identify the skill set gaps and the learning preferences. And then we could design a program that can be delivered over time in the content and media format that your engineers want to learn. If that sounds interesting to you, please contact us at 201-857-2384. Again, that's 201-857-2384. All right, now it's time to head over to AECOM and bring you with me. Let's chat with Anthony Atanasio. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, now I'm excited for today's Civil Engineering Conversation. I'm at the offices of AE Common Piscataway, New Jersey. I'm here with Anthony Atanasio. Anthony, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Thank you, Anthony. So to start off, 
what I'd like to do is just let Anthony, in his own words, I gave you a little bit of a, a bio on Anthony, but in his own words, he's had an interesting career in some different places. So Anthony, just for our listeners, give him kind of the overview of your career. Sure. I always joke with folks, the road to my working for the world's largest engineering firm was not a straight road. Yeah. Um, I began even before professionally involved, uh, before I graduated college, involved in politics, worked in campaigns as a volunteer, uh, had my first job on a U.S. Senate race while I was still a senior in college. Wow. Some may say I should have enjoyed my second semester more versus working on a campaign, but yeah, right, everything is for a reason. Uh, I worked on campaigns, uh, everything from sticking lawn signs in the ground to organizing phone banks and Rose up to be deputy campaign manager, campaign manager, started my own consulting firm when I was 27. Wow. Sending all those annoying glossy mailers you get uh, every October when folks are running for office. <laughs> those are from you. Yeah. Well, some of them were. <laughs> so, yeah. So, hopefully my folks won and they are representing you well. But um, And so, yeah. So, I was a campaign political guy, small government guy. And then uh, when Chris Christie was elected, his first chief of staff was a gentleman named Rich Bagger. And Rich had been my mentor since I was a teenager. Oh, okay. I interned for him. He spoke at my Eagle Scout Corps of Honor. Like Rich was my guiding light. And he handed my resume to the other guiding light of my career, Jim Weinstein. Your listeners are probably familiar with Jim. He was commissioner of transportation sure. for Christy Whitman. And at the point when I was introduced to him, he had just been named the executive director of New Jersey Transit. And uh, so Bagger gives him my resume. He says, you should meet Anthony. He's a nice guy. He might work for you. And, and Jim... And I had an interview at the Trenton train station. No, most people don't know this. There's a whole office suite upstairs there. Oh, wow. I know. And uh, I had already been hired to be deputy campaign manager for Pat Toomey in Pennsylvania when okay. he was running for his first Senate race. So I was literally packing my bags when I got the phone call to go meet Jim. And um, I go, we meet, we have a great hour-long interview, and he says to me in his Jim Weinstein way, Anthony, we want Pat Toomey to win, but we don't want him to need you to do it. Come work for me. And I said, absolutely, you know, the opportunity to work for New Jersey Transit, the nation's sure. third largest mass transit agency. And my father was a commuter my entire life, okay. uh, 40 years, trains, planes, automobiles, but mostly trains from New Jersey to New York, you know, the uh, Newark Penn. So you had and, that attachment to it. Oh, yeah. And whenever you, it was go to work with that day, right? Like it meant going to the Westfield train station, getting on the train, right. transferring at Newark, getting right. to New York, taking the subway or the path and like. So commuting to work via train was something I was very accustomed to. It seemed normal, right? That's what dads do. Sure. Um, so going to work in New Jersey Transit, even though I had no prior transportation professional experience, transportation had been a part of my life, you know, since my earliest years that I could remember. Sure. So New Jersey Transit was an amazing experience. Um, I was only so there was for... that your first, like, professional experience with transportation? Is that how you got into it? Yes. Jim okay. made me his deputy chief of staff. I was in charge of, you know, things like geopolitical, community relations, sure. uh, and learning, right? He knew I was new to transportation as a profession. Right. Uh, if you're from New Jersey, transportation is not, you know, you, <laughs> right. you, you drive everywhere. You take a train yeah. or a bus or in a light rail. So. But I learned a lot in that one year because Jim is one of the, you know, the cardinals of transportation, if you will, in New Jersey. Right. Having been a commissioner and sure. having worked for, you know, Frederick R. Harris, Dim Jim Harris, AECOM and all the you know, all those firms. And so I worked for him for a year, which point after some pretty heavy snow, pretty bad operational incidents in the state. And folks might have forgotten by now, hopefully. But we lost uh, Route 36 down in Monmouth County because the snow had accumulated okay. before the DOT got out there. and. Uh, the governor was away on vacation. The um, lieutenant governor was away. So both the governor and lieutenant governor were away during the massive blizzard in 2010. Yeah. And it created a media firestorm and all that. So the commissioner decided at that point that he was going to convene groups, a leader from each transportation agency who every time it snowed would be sitting in the same room or on the same conference table communicating to each other what was happening with the snow removal process. Right. And I was, Jim Weinstein sent me to be his transit rep at that at those meetings okay uh and which was unbelievable operationally because the coordination that had not been happening amongst the agencies uh to see that happen was incredible and we really really improved and optimized uh the snow operations well the commissioner took notice and you know a few weeks later he said you know i'm gonna get my eye on you anthony and i said yes sir yes sir i was you know barely 30 years old right and then about a month after working on those snow storms, he came to me and said, I want to make you an assistant commissioner, which wow. I didn't think he was serious. But I was like, oh, wow, thank you, commissioner. That's right. an honor. And he did. They made me assistant commissioner at 30 years old. Wow. Uh, became assistant commissioner for government community relations. I was in charge of all of the government community relations from everything. That, so anyone that touched the Department of Transportation, whether it was John Q. Public, all the way up through elected officials, business owners, hmm. we were responsible for those relations. Right. I also was responsible for the communications shop. So everything coming out of the department, communicating to our customers and our, our road users. 
And then I was in charge of legislation and regulatory affairs. So all the legislation that was being reviewed or promoted by the department, all the regs, obviously, that sure. govern. And wow. all of your listeners are very familiar with everything. Yeah, yeah. Public access yeah, I mean, to right away. Of course, and, we have listeners, you know, countrywide. But anywhere you are, there's all kinds of different regulations you have to be aware of, which is, sounds like one of the cool parts of your job, Anthony, was that you were able to learn a lot about a lot of times civil engineers doing design, especially younger civil engineers, only get exposed to the technical component of these roadway projects. But there are a lot of political components. There are a lot of different agencies that need to work together. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure for you, you were able to really see all those connections. Yeah, I think, and I tell people this day, and I'm sure my folks at AECOM, they're going to have to give me some leeway. I've only been here six months to say that my time as a assistant commissioner was the greatest three years of my career because it was the confluence of public policy, but also public service, right? and then what you just talked about. So, you know, you have the engineers who say, well, this is how you do it. Or you have a mayor who says, this is what we need, right? There's too many accidents at this intersection, or my folks can't get out of town. And right. Of course, their ask typically was a 20 to $30 million ask, right? A, a new flyover or a total intersection realignment. And when I was assistant commissioner, it was prior to the transportation trust fund renewal. Okay. So we literally did not have money. The gas tank was on empty. You know, we were scraping together to keep the program until we could get a renewal done. And um, so quite often we had to help solve their problems without the $30 million solution. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's where traffic engineering really came in. Sure. And one of my really good friends who actually I was just able to recruit to AECOM, uh, one of the best traffic engineers I ever met, you know, I'd sit him down with the map and show him the $30 million ask and say, what can we do for them? Because, a lot less than $30 million. <laughs> right. Well, and, and one of the issues, and I think one of the reasons I, I, I don't want to boast, but I think I was very successful at my job, was trying to find a way to the yes, right? Or trying to find a way to solve the public problem. Right. Because a lot of my predecessors was either yes, 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 and then try to run the clock out until they had not have to deal with it, or just say no, or be the ostrich and stick your head in the sand. And, you know, my attitude was, we were public servants. Our job was there to make people's lives better if we could, right? And that's where traffic engineering really came in to save my skin with a lot of these electeds, because... While I couldn't build a $20 million structure with signal timing and paint, you can do a lot. Sure. And, you know, the traffic engineers were always able to find a way to help move people better, right? To increase mobility or increase safety. Yes, at pennies on the dollar. And sure. so when a mayor, though, can go back to his constituents and say, yeah, well, we're not going to fly over, but the DOT is coming in. Right. And they're putting changing in a, the signals, yeah, adaptive signaling yeah. or whatever it is. And so the citizens saw results. Yeah. That was public service. And, and you know, so we did a lot of great work there. And the other major, obviously, uh, life learning lesson in career, political, everything, was the weather. Yeah. I mean, my four years in, in the state government was the earthquakes, the blizzards, Hurricane Irene, and, of course, Superstorm Sandy. Yeah. And Sandy was, you know, for all of us, I mean, right. you know, a life-altering time in our lives, our careers. Sure. And at DOT, when you think about folks' need, and not just, we got to get to work, we got to get it back to life, first responders. Yeah. Utility vehicles. You know, we had downed wires all over the state. You know, I mean, got the Route 35 situation. I mean, what I saw, because I was on the island two days after the storm, mm-hmm. I mean, you could hear natural gas from the lines that have been ripped open, you know, Jeez. houses on their sides in the middle of the road, boats, cars, everything. Like, having to manage the rollout of that project, you know, the full rebuild, because that was a disaster recovery and a quarter of a billion dollar sure. massive infrastructure investment. To solidify the road and protect that island to the best we could, because I mean, you're it's a sandbar in between the ocean and the bay, right? right? So you can only do so much. And Anthony's for those of you not familiar with New Jersey area, Anthony's referring to kind of what's known as for many as the Jersey Shore or the little yes. island to the so the barrier islands, right, yeah. to the east coast of uh, New Jersey that runs along the state that's separate from the state but connected at several points, right? That really essentially got crushed and flooded out by Sandy in a lot of areas. I mean, Sandy literally punched through the barrier islands and the ocean met the bay. It literally right. broke through the island. And, um, you know, the road before that had had only um, a drainage capable of handling the two-year storm. It was natural drainage. So even with, we put pump stations in and, sure. and increased the gravitational drainage and everything we did with all of the technology that was available in 2000 and at that point, 12, 13, 14, um, we were only able to get the road capable to handle the 25-year storm. That's how much water Jeez. is around it and the yeah. nature well, of the that's, road. That's what you were dealing with, yeah. Yeah. So, but And it's amazing because that was a 12-mile a stretch with nine towns. 
Jeez. So that's how many mayors I had to deal with, oh, council people, yeah, you know, and they all want this way, that, and they don't put the pump station there, put it here. logistics, yeah. Yeah, so. Let me ask you this question. During this time period, obviously now you're at AECOM, mm-hmm. you know, one of the largest engineering companies in the world, private company. During this part of your career with these agencies, did you have any idea or long-term goals of eventually being in the private sector? Or is it something that evolved? I knew I wanted to go to the private sector, but once again, having spent the first eight years of my career in politics, and then fate putting me into right. transportation and, and right. administration. Nothing was clear. Right, <laughs> exactly. Like I said, it wasn't a straight uh, road. And um, I loved what I did at DOT. But jobs like that, you do for a finite for period of time. time. Yeah. I mean, if I had stayed all eight years, it would have been, even though I'm both sides of the aisle, I'm, I work very well with all Republicans and Democrats. The administration changed my job would have been over anyway, yeah, right, no right, matter right. what I would have done or how right. good I was at the job. So. Right. I didn't know, literally, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? I don't know. I'm an assistant commissioner now, and I'm loving what I do. I don't know what's next. And what's next came to me, the Utility and Transportation Contractors Association, uh, who had worked with me. And I think a lot of folks in life can learn this lesson. It's, you know, you can disagree with people. It's how you do it that will lead you to your next steps. And I think, you know, we see this a lot today in in the American political system, how it's devolved into this divisive us and them fighting back and forth. I mean, some of my greatest successes at DOT, and even though I'm a Republican, and I worked in a Republican administration, some of my greatest successes were working with Democrats. And how I said no. And it's the UTCA, so I don't have to say Utility and Transportation Contractors Association every time. Uh, The UTCA and I had been fiercely opposed on a piece of legislation. Right. and locked in arms in battle together on a piece of legislation. And then there were other instances, because like I said, my unit at DOT was responsible for reviewing, sure. commenting, and either supporting or, or opposing legislation that affects the department. Yep. So we had actually locked horns big time on a design-build bill. That the designer, While we all agree we need design-build, and ironically New Jersey, a state that was used to be an innovator in everything from transportation, education, and technology, as we sit here today in yep. 2018, all of our agencies still do not have design-build authority, which I find to yeah. be, you know, I'm helping write a bill now to fix that. At the time, the contractors were pushing a bill that would not necessarily have been the best for the agencies, gotcha. but would have been great for the contractors. And so I, in for all intents and purposes, killed the bill right. you know, by opposing right. it. And they came to me after three years as a DOT, and they were like, He's become like an older brother to me, Bob Bryant Jr. He said, so I wanna have, let's go have lunch. Let's go have lunch. Yeah, sure, Bob. Let's go have lunch. So we have lunch. He goes, what's your future look like? I don't know. <laughs> what, what you, and and they, uh, they asked me and I accepted. I ended up becoming the executive director. Okay. Uh, I'm representing a multi-billion dollar industry. Yeah. You know, obviously, in the state of New Jersey, we have some of the world's best contractors sure. building some obviously very complex infrastructure in a very difficult environment to build. Sure. I mean, New Jersey is the most densely populated state in the country. Everybody knows New Jersey's issues, right? I mean, we yeah. connect New York and Philly, and, you know, there's a lot of people here in between, and the road networks are old, right? We're a very old state, old infrastructure. Right. So that brought about a different challenge for you. Very different, right? I mean, I, and it's so it's when you go from working for the owner to working for the clients, right. work for the owner, that's a whole nother. And UTCA obviously was very driven on policy and funding, right? You know, the goal right. was to come up with the most fair contracts that the contractors could live with, because right. they're private companies and they deserve to earn a profit while also protecting the public interest because people always think the contractors only care about money and making money and building. It's not true. They're actually big time taxpayer advocates because the wiser the money is spent, the more money there is. And the ACEC, who's the sister, you know, that's the engineers association as you guys know, it's the same concept. If the money is spent wiser and more efficiently, there's more money to spend. Yeah. Exactly. So let me stop you there for a minute. Because before we give away your whole career progression, you brought up ACEC. Uh, I want to let everyone know how I met Anthony and how I ended up here is because I attended the ACEC New Jersey conference a few weeks ago. I was lucky enough to be able to speak there. And I attended the NJ TAP panel talking about kind of driving change and connecting New Jersey by getting the agencies to work together. And Anthony was on the panel. I had not previously known Anthony at all. Even though we're both Italian, we're both named Anthony. I didn't know him, and that wasn't the reason that I asked him to come on the podcast. The reason was, was because in this panel, which was very interesting, all of the panelists were very knowledgeable, and you could tell they had all worked together well, and they do work together well. But Anthony said something that was kind of eye-opening to me, or that really hit home with me, especially based on his some of his history with construction, and as you just mentioned, was that, you know, we can't just build our way out of everything anymore. You know, we can't just keep building and building and building. 
And I'll let Anthony talk about what he meant by that. But what was important to me about that is we had a gentleman named Chuck Mahone on the podcast a while ago from this nonprofit called Strong Towns. And Chuck is really interested in building smarter towns. Not just, you know, a lot of times, don't get me wrong, construction's great for civil engineering because that's where we get a lot of projects from. But some people have this mentality that if we just keep building and building new infrastructure, new infrastructure, new infrastructure, it's going to solve all the problems. And it's really not. And Chuck's point was that if you do that, you can end up putting a lot of these towns in debt for these counties or municipalities in debt because they can't maintain what you're building. And long term, it's not a really good fix. So your kind of quote, which I kind of paraphrased, reminded me of that and reminded me that moving forward, we need to be smarter. And I just kind of, that's why I contacted Anthony afterwards. And I just kind of want you to talk about that a little bit. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the future is interesting when it comes to transportation infrastructure, right? The uh, To your point, what I said was, yeah, you can't build your, your way out of everything. In, in, in New Jersey's example, that's because, you know, when you look in places like Hudson and Bergen, Essex counties, and, and you know, right outside our, the cities, we're built out. I mean, right. you know, a lot of our roads are also utility corridors. So even if you wanted a widener road, I mean, there are roads in the northern part of our state that folks have been talking about widening for 40 years, and that haven't happened. And the reason, to your point, they're cost prohibitive to actually do the construction in the first place, yeah. but then to maintain and to operate. And I mean, if you went up to like a Route 17 or any of these you know, places up in Bergen County and whatnot, and like the amount of utilities you'd have to move alone. Right. In order, you know, down in, in Ocean County, Route 9, which is everyone knows is a disaster, it would cost a billion dollars to widen seven miles. That is not a wise investment right. of a taxpayer dollar. Right. And so what can we do and what are we trying to do? And I think it was one of the great things about, so the contractors had never hired someone from the public sector before. I was the first public sector employee wow. to go work for the contractors. That's very interesting. And so, and also, obviously, luckily, having been at the level I was, I wasn't just a legislative liaison, I'd been an assistant commissioner. What I did was I helped the contractors understand that the owner was not the enemy. Right. And I helped the DOT have a much better relationship with the contractors. Yeah, that's good. Which led to more dialogue, which led to more forward-thinking policy discussions. And eventually, I'm not going to claim credit for NJ Tap, but... The beginning of that dialogue, and ACEC had always had a better dialogue with the department than the contractors had, you know, once everybody was really starting to talk to each other and trying to solve problems together instead of pointing fingers at each other, right. a woman named Dana Hecht, who, has, as you know, yep. was on the panel and was, became a very good friend of mine at DOT, she's a visionary. You need believers, right? Like, especially in the engineering world, I found a lot of engineers tend to look at things in black and white. Yeah, analytical, right brain. Right? I mean, and there's a good reason for that, because when you're designing a bridge, it better be, right. you know, yeah. the way exactly how well, it should like be designed, before, right? the engineer that comes in and fixes the signaling when you can say, you know, don't have $30 million to spend. Right. You got to do it right, and that's fine, but you have to have the, the, the dreamers and the visionaries, and you have to be able to move beyond just what you know. And, and Dana's one of those people, and, and she had this vision of bringing all of the transportation agencies together and the UTCA and the ACEC. Which is this NJ tab. This is what Anthony's explaining. And I think this is important. I don't care if you live in California. It's the theme here of what the NJ tap is, which Anthony's explaining. Go ahead, Anthony. Yeah, so no, please. It's uh, so NJ tap stands for the New Jersey Transportation Agency Partnership. And, you know, these bringing folks together who had been kind of like warring tribes, if you will. And, right. you know, First, I brought UTCA and ACEC together. You know, ACEC, the engineers design it, the contractors build it. Why right. aren't we talking more? Yep. And we were able to advance positive legislation together and kill bad legislation together. I and mean, something your, your listeners would probably be very interested in is that an initiative was brought to New Jersey called BS Plus 30. And it was an initiative by the, I believe the ASC, right? Yes. So to require 30 additional credits. Yes. Right before you can sit for your PE license, after your bachelor's, after your records with four years of experience, after all the CE credits, you'd still need 30 additional credits. And you know we were able to unite the contractors, the engineers as companies, and the utility companies, all the folks who employ PEs, to say, wait a minute, that would be so detrimental both to the profession and to the industries and the cost, et cetera, et cetera. But that was because of the partnership. Right. So from there, then Dana was like, you know what, we should be bringing everyone together because if you look at the environmental community, environmentalists, even though they fight amongst themselves, when they come to legislative hearings or they're pushing legislation, they come at you as a united front. Yeah. That's how they get a lot done. Sure. Transportation advocates don't necessarily do that. But when you look at the width and breadth of the transportation community, especially in a place like New Jersey, more densely populated states are going to have more authorities and agencies, like yeah, California, absolutely. Illinois, New York, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Florida, New Jersey. 
When you look at the fact that we have a DOT, New Jersey Transit, the New Jersey Turnpike Authority, the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, the Delaware Joint Toll Bridge Commission, the Delaware River Port Authority, the South Jersey Transportation Authority, all these authorities, I mean, the billions upon billions upon billions of operating capital dollars that flow through those agencies every year, and the tens of millions of people that use their systems every year, that's a powerful voice if they acted as one voice. Yeah. And that's what NJTAP is. NJTAP is the bringing these groups together. The first thing that was done was almost like an assessment of like, what are your problems versus our problems? And they were all the same. Yeah. Environmental permitting, claims resolution, you know, connected autonomous vehicles, bringing more folks into the engineering and construction professions, you know, right. education, you know, the fact that we're losing kids are not going into school to become engineers. And even the ones that do become engineers, now we're competing with folks like in the finance sector and in other areas where folks are trying to steal engineers at engineering schools. And then the very, you know, obviously with all the technology, the need for information based, yeah, right. you know, engineers, it's harder and harder to get civil people to go into civil engineering. And so all the agencies looked at all of these issues and like, we all have the same issues. Yeah. And we all know we have the same issues. So why aren't we working on this <laughs> we together? Work on them together. Right. Yeah. And, and so, and Anthony mentioned technology and we're going to get into that here. But before we do that, what I just want to say is that Anthony, of course, is not a civil engineer. Um, he made that very clear to me before I came here. But the reason I wanted to come visit with him is because a big part of civil engineering, transportation design, transportation work is partnerships and communication. And I think what Anthony has been able to do and what he's telling us about here, which I think is applicable to the country, mm -hmm. forget about just New Jersey, all these bigger states, anywhere really where you have these different types of agencies, is the future, I think, of successful projects is partnerships. I mean, that's one of the good things about technology as well is being able to use technology or just or just being able to assess with different parties and get different perspectives and then bring them all together because we are not afforded the time, the budgets for people, everyone to work on things on their own. And that's right. not how projects get done. Right. So that's one of the things that I really want our listeners to kind of get through this episode and through this message is that as a civil engineer, as a transportation engineer, as a professional in this industry, whatever you do, you should be thinking and looking for partnerships. Because that can be valuable to your clients, that can be valuable to the constituents, to the citizens. Because you know what? Maybe one agency doesn't have the funding to fix the intersection, but maybe another agency. You know, maybe one road is covered by one agency and one by another. And if you bring them together, something great can happen. Right. So I want to get into technology mm -hmm. because I know one of the things we want to talk about was autonomous vehicles, which you have expertise on. Let's assume for a second that our listeners know nothing about autonomous vehicles. What is an autonomous vehicle? Can you just break it down from the beginning for us? Sure, sure. And that really is a great segue from the you can't build your way out of everything. Yeah. So in a state like ours where we're not going to be able to widen, we're not going right. to be able to build new structures, we don't build new roads here. There's nowhere to build. And the only places in New Jersey you could build is down in the south, and that's our agricultural base, which, right. frankly, there's no need for the roads down there as much as there is. So where we need more road, we can't build. Yep. So what do we do? And that's when, that was where my comment came from that day about you can't build your way out of everything anymore. Mass transit, obviously, is a major, major factor in New Jersey. And New Jersey transit's been splashed all over the news. Unfortunately, after eight years of, of the previous administration, allowing New Jersey transit to wither on the vine and, and just, you know, we need to help rebuild New Jersey transit. Right. You know, before it can be the answer to our congestion and mobility issues. Right. And that's, I think, where connected uh, vehicles is the future. And it's actually here now, Right. So the first thing it's to literally do is, a cars without drivers. Just to well, be clear. well, some and yes and some no. So that's I think one of the things that I learned as I started learning about um, CAV. I just assumed this was the path to cars driving us around, right? Where we don't have to do anything and can, right. you know, read a book while we're being taken right. to work, right? I was fascinated at what's going on in the world with connected autonomous vehicles. So there's connected vehicles and then there's autonomous vehicles, and I would argue, and a lot of the experts I've spoken to would say that we're possibly as much as twenty years away from automated vehicles. Okay. Uh, the reason being, even simple things like having to phase out the fleet of personal vehicles. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to get everybody in this country to, to get rid of their Dodge, their Ford no. 150s or their, no. you know, their, their Mustangs, whatever it is that they love driving. I mean, and I personally, I'm one of them. I love driving. Yeah. I love it. Recreation. Yeah. I love going to take yeah, drives, like right? Too, yeah. So there's a human factor that we're going to have to get to before we can get to the autonomous. Connected here, right? So connected vehicles is everything from the vehicles talking to each other, vehicles talking to the infrastructure, vehicles talking. Just It's really just the connectivity of our vehicles. So while and, you're driving, your vehicle may be talking to another vehicle, yes, basically? Okay. Yes. And if you look at things like, even in a, in a, in a very you know boiled down fashion, look at Waze. 
right? Yeah. So I, I used to use Google Maps because oh, it's Google, it's easy. But then someone's right. like, no, no, you got to get into Waze, man. Because like Waze, it's the, the drivers are populating the app. Right. And I've never used anything else ever since. And even when Waze is telling me to make turns into places where I'm like, this cannot be yeah, right. Yeah. Always go with the Waze. You go with the Waze, right? And so there's the beginning of an example of connected vehicles, right? Because I'm driving on, right. on 95 and all of a sudden Waze redirects me off of 95 into whatever'sburg Maryland as right. I'm coming back to from get DC. Around and I'm like, traffic would, and sure and enough, or two. Right. And that's because somebody, you know, a tractor trailer flipped, someone who got his stock popped it in. It populates the system, and all of a sudden, people are diverting. So now vehicles are connected. F- connected. Funny story about this. i got to stop you there yeah. for one minute. I used to use Google Maps all the time. And finally, someone told me about Waze. And I was actually having dinner with a guy who worked at Google. And he was, like, talking about Waze. And I'm like, what? He was, like, in charge of Waze operations or something. I'm like, what is Waze? He's like, check it out. It's an app. I'm like, I'm like, can I interview the engineer that works on this for the podcast for our engineering career coach podcast and he's like yeah sure so he connected me so i went to google's office okay and i sat down with the head engineer of ways right or one of the head engineers and he explained to me the whole process of how they collect the data how they update the app and it's amazing right. and if you want to learn about ways we can link to that show but to anthony's point it's just a massive collection of information of drivers that then they funnel back to you in real time so you can make better decisions, right? That, it makes decisions for you, but you can follow the decisions. So it's a perfect And that's example. where it is, where we're at, right? Which is connectivity from human to human, right? Because we're still driving the car, right? right? And obviously for our, all your listeners, I would hope that you're using hands-free and not, yeah. you know, not actually using your phone as right. you drive and then move your passenger is or, you know, Waze is on the dashboard. But, you know, and that's where we're getting to with the vehicles themselves, right? So the vehicles talking to each other. The vehicles, I mean, and, and if you've seen on the TV commercials, you know, you have the, the accident avoidance features right. in cars now where you can, at night, they sense that there's a deer in the road X so amount of the, feet the, ahead. So it breaks, right? Yeah. So it, so it starts to break. I mean, so that's the beginning of it. But then you get into, like, so the most simple answer is, right, vehicles talking to each other. Yeah. But where are we heading and where should we be heading? And, yeah. like, uh, which gets into a whole other slew, once again, of the people of the perception of yeah. people's reticence about losing control, sure. you know, in government, you know, everyone's big brother this or who's yeah. watching that. I just hit I accept every time I'm on a website somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> my digital privacy, I'm sure, is gone. So, but no, but with the vehicles themselves, you know, now we're getting into things like electric vehicles and, you know, this connected vehicles can solve a lot of issues right it can set mobility and right. congestion safety obviously safety being the safety, biggest safety. thing that we all in transportation safety 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 right if a vehicle can sense danger before you can that's a good thing right but then you get into efficiencies the economy the other so if we can move people i mean that's what it's all about yeah. is mobility right if you look at New Jersey, you know, I would suggest that folks look at the widening of the New Jersey Turnpike from exit six to nine. It revolutionized north-south travel in the state, okay? People who took that stretch when, and that there was an example of a widening where you could still widen because sure. there was land and right away to do it. Yeah. People who commute that every single day for work, on average, are saving 50 minutes a day on their travel Think time. about the effects of that on, on society in terms of another hour with your family for all those people. And right. All the family other, and the you know, gym. So now people can coach their kids baseball when they couldn't coach it before. Right. A lot of impact. Not missing dinner, getting home right. for seeing your kids go to bed. Right. Well, now imagine if all of our road networks were built in a way where we were getting where we were going faster and more right. efficiently. And that's what we're trying to and get safer. towards. And safer, faster, more efficiently. You know, in, in Uber... Lyft, all those folks, right. it's the same, you know, all this, the idea that we're, you know, taking, having less cars on the road or that they're being more efficient when they're on the road. And then you can get into other things like, so for electric vehicles, for example, as we see more and more hybrids right. are coming out, more and more fuel efficient vehicles, whatever, everyone's trying to get to a place where we have electric vehicles. Well, how do electric vehicles charge? They need stations, right? Right. So that means there's a whole new raft of infrastructure that needs to be, needs built, to be built with all the charging stations, unless... And these are the things that companies like AECOM and others are looking at. You know, if you're working with the utility companies, right, and this is where contractors who may be more reticent about connected and autonomous vehicles because they're thinking, is this going to mean I'm going to have less roads and bridges to right. build? No, you're just going to have to become more sophisticated both as engineers and contractors because we're going to need to build smarter roads. Right. So the roads are going to have to have embedded in them technology that does everything from the talking and the communication piece mm-hmm. to potentially charging. So now what if you had fleets of electric vehicles hitting the streets and instead of charging stations, we found a way to make the roads charging 
like charging stations. Right, right, right. So as you drive, your car is charging. These are concepts that are being worked on. Right. As we speak. That's the visionary and, part of this that you talked about before. Right. Where you need people thinking about these types of things. Absolutely. Because now if I think about this, if I can get the roads to charge my car, all right, how many problems does that solve? One, that's very complicated to design and build. So the engineers and the contractors should be happy because right. it's very complex work. And as we all know, we price our work based on risk and, sure. and, and how difficult and whatnot. So that's there. If I'm a utility company, if I'm an electric company, that's the roads are now becoming rateables. Think about that. Right. For them, oh my goodness, do you think that there's capital that they have that they would like to invest? Right. Because they're going to want to take advantage right. Every of Every time this. someone drives on the road, I'm making money. Right. But the other part of it too, I think that's important, is the it also takes away possibly one of the concerns of a driver of these new technologies, right? Like now I don't have to have the plug at my house mm -hmm. or I don't have to have the station at my house or I don't have to invest in having an electrician install this thing in my garage and I got to plug my car in because I just have to drive it on the road and it charges. Right. So That'd be incredible. Yeah, and yeah. I think it comes back to the, I guess, which is becoming the running theme of this episode, which is partnerships yep. of people working together yep. to drive this change, which brings us kind of full circle here to back to where you are now at AECOM, mm -hmm. okay? Because we stopped in your career progression there. So I would imagine that you're here partly to work on these types of things and bringing these types of things to society, to the communities. Is that is that one of your job positions here? Yeah, and it's, it's interesting because like so many other, almost every job I've had in transportation now is nothing I expected or went after. Right. Right? My resume got handed to transit. The commissioner right. stole me out of transit. The contractors came and got me to leave. And now uh, I was... Four years in at the UTCA, we had done some great work on, you know, change conditions bills, and, and we were the driving force. And, and I, I joke uh, with, about this next one. Uh, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, accomplishment of my career has made me very unpopular with my friends and my family because we raised the gas tax, 23 cents in New yeah. Jersey. Most folks around the country may hear that go, 23 cents? It's, well, they hadn't raised it since 1988 when I was eight years old. So they were catching up, you know. Uh, and in fact, of that 23 cents, eight of it was going towards old debt. So it's not even all 23 cents going hmm. towards new infrastructure, which is a big issue, I That's think, around this country yeah. is government's over-reliance on debt, especially in infrastructure. We talked about before the maintenance and all that oh, other stuff. Yeah, you know. So we raised the gas tax. We did all these great things. I was loving life. I really enjoyed the work I was doing. And then a good friend of mine uh, used to run the South Jersey Transportation Authority, Sam Donaldson. He and I were in the trenches together during Hurricane Irene and Superstorm Sandy sure. and all that. He came to me. He's like, I want to have breakfast with you. And I was like, yeah, he's my friend. So I didn't think yeah. anything of it. And he sits me down. And he goes, so what are you doing? How's it going? I was like, oh, it's great. Life's great. He goes, would you ever think about working for AECOM? And I had not, up until that moment, I had not thought about it. And I was like, well, no, I hadn't thought about it. Why are you asking? And and so I like going into places, and, and even if they're great organizations, trying to find ways to make them better and sure. turn them around. And, and UTCA was a great organization with 50 years of history, but I came at the right time to help breathe a different type of life into it and do things. And AECOM, as, as I'm sure listeners know, what we are around the world, yeah. um, you know, how big we are, the complex projects we do and, and all that. And in New Jersey, it, it, the company kind of lost its way a little bit, right? It needed a kind of fresh perspective. And so sure. they put Sam in charge of our transportation business line. He brought in Gian Fazio out of our Philly office, who's probably one of the greatest engineers I've ever met in my life. But he said to me, he's like, you know, I want you to do what you do for us. And it got me thinking because... Mm -hmm. You know, I love what I do. I feel that even though I'm in the private sector, I'm still doing public sector work. Right. And um, if you can, you know, they say if you love your job, you never work a day in your life. Right. And if you can also love your job while doing good, because I, I, I do believe that even in the private sector, we have a responsibility of whether it's corporate citizenship or what, that everybody should be putting back into the till and therefore the masses will, you know, uh, will benefit. The thought of coming to work for a company like this and being able to do the work I've been doing, sure. the partnering, the innovation, the yeah. policy advancement, for a company like this that understands that and has the width, the power, and the breadth to, to get support it, to, it, to fund yeah. it, to get. When I go to it with to the bosses with a great idea, you know, or even a decent idea, and they like it, they're like, "Great, go do it, go do right? it, and, and we'll and, support you. Yeah. We have the capabilities to right. support the you. capabilities and resources. You know, right. and you look into like things that you come down. Like I said, as the son of a commuter who went right. through World Trade every day, yeah, if, to walk through the Oculus, 
yeah, uh, in the um, world. I was just story. there for the first time. I came out. And I was like, "Where? This is unbelievable!" Right? You feel like you're in the future, literally. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? What it was? And the Matrix. Yeah, was in the movie right. The Matrix. Uh, you know, and like, this company that we did that. You know, we've designed and built more football stadiums. And I'm a diehard Jets fan. As yeah. Sorry and sad of an existence yeah, as that well, is. Giants are much better now. But, but yeah, right. welcome to the club. <laughs> the um, but the point is to work for a company that can and has done all that, that embraces innovation Absolutely. and forward thinking. And in, in, in my home state. I mean, I grew up here. And so the thought of being able to make a difference like that Absolutely. on connected and autonomous vehicles, on all these. And you want to talk about full circle. Uh, Jim Weinstein, who is my transportation, my father in transportation, as yeah. we call him, who hired me at New Jersey Transit, is at AECOM. Oh, wow. So it all, I've reunited with, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, you know so. it's very interesting because I think the kind of the moral of the story here from a career progression standpoint, for those of you listening, is if you do good work, and you build a lot of good relationships. I think you kind of end up where you're supposed to be, and you end up with opportunities that can help you to make a big difference. And that, like, I don't know how to explain it. You know, one thing I can say, a quick analogy is, I have a daughter who's 12, plays soccer, good soccer player. One year, scored a lot of goals. The next year, the coach moved their defense. I said, Dad, I'm moving back to defense. I'm thinking to myself, defense, it scores like crazy, you know? So the coach said, you know, I can't teach someone aggressiveness. Your daughter's so aggressive. We need her on defense. And I told my daughter, so you know what? Just do your thing. Do what you do best. And eventually you're going to be in the position you're supposed to be in. Right. So sure enough, like right on defense, team wasn't scoring. And they moved her back up. Because I told her, if you just play your game, right. you're going to end up in the field wherever you're supposed to be. Right. Right. And it sounds like in listening to you is that you took one job, you did your thing, you made change, and another they said, you know what? We need that change here. And they brought you in. You did the same thing, and now you ended up at the largest engineering company in the world that probably has the most resources in the world to be able to do things like CAV that we're talking about, right. and you're in a perfect position to be able to do it. So I think it's just a testimony to you, but also a message for people out there that, listen, if you do your thing, if you work hard, you build relationships, you're going to end up with an opportunity to make a difference. And I think for a lot of the people that work in this industry that I know, what they want to do is make a difference. Absolutely. And I sounds like that's what you want to do. Yeah, engineering. And that's, I think, why it's not odd that I ended up in an engineering firm. The work that engineers do benefits the world. Yeah, absolutely. Regardless of what it is, whether you're a civil engineer or a mechanical engineer. Anything. Engineers are everything. Anything you touch, anything you see. Yeah, I was at the Rutgers um, Medal of Excellence Awards last night, one of our pillars of our company, Fred Werner, received the Medal of Excellence from Rutgers University. And when you heard everyone from the young alumni through folks like Fred who are about to retire right, right one day, you know, talk about the difference they've made in the world and how they feel that their work has impacted the world, like, that's really special. Yeah. And the one thing I would say to your younger listeners, more so, I mean, it applies to everybody, but really for the younger generations are work harder than your competition. Mm -hmm. If you, you don't have to be the smartest. But if you are smart and you work harder, you yep. will succeed. And, you know, I, I've seen that in people I've competed against in my life who may have been smarter than me or even more connected politically yep. than me. Oh, but absolutely. if you out-hustle them, you know, it's a, just to make everybody chuckle a little bit. There's a, the movie Catch Me If You Can with Leonardo yeah. DiCaprio and Tom Hanks yeah. and, whatnot, and Christopher Walken. Like a con artist. Or... Yeah, he's the con artist, yeah. Czech writer, you know. And, like, his father was also a con artist. And you don't find they figure it out until later in the movie. But... He wins the new Rochelle Men's Club, like, you know, or Rotary Club Man of the Year Award. And he says, and he gets up to the mic and he goes, there were two mice that fall into a bucket of cream. One quickly gives up, drowns. The other fights and kicks and claws until he churns that cream into butter and climbs out. Today, gentlemen, I am that second mouse. <laughs> and I love making people laugh with that story. Because that, that, you know, that clip from the movie. But the yeah. reality is, is that if it's you versus someone else, yeah. and only one, outwork them. Out hustle them, and if you're doing it from an altruistic position, where you're trying to do better, like we do in our profession, you're gonna. It's gonna. Your career is gonna benefit you in a way where you're not gonna hate going to work. You're gonna yeah. love going to it's work, gonna work, and you're out. gonna succeed. Yeah. 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 All right. On that note, we're gonna take a quick break. Anthony's gonna stick with us. We're gonna come back into our CE hot seat segment. Just rattle off a few final questions. Civil engineering podcast. Civil engineering podcast. Now it's time for our civil engineering hot seat segment in which today's episode is brought to you by our sponsor, PPI. If you've been thinking of getting your civil PE license, but you're unsure of where to start, now is the perfect time to check out PPI2Pass.com. PPI has helped over 4 million engineers pass their licensure exam 
and become leaders in their fields. Best of all, PPI has exam prep material to prepare you for any civil PE discipline, including construction, transportation, structural, and others. Visit ppi2pass.com to order your exam prep materials and take one step closer to advancing your career. That's PPI, the number two, pass.com. I also have a 20% off promo code available to listeners of this podcast. Use promo code TCE8 on PPI's website for an exclusive 20% discount. Again, that's promo code TCE and the number eight. All right, so once again, we're here with Anthony Atanasio at AE Comms offices in Piscataway, New Jersey, and it's time for our civil engineering hot seat segment. Anthony, are you ready? Let's do it. All right, first question. Are there any specific rituals that you practice every day, whether it's a specific morning ritual, lunchtime ritual, something that you do consistently that's contributed to your success? I start every day and end every day either so preparing for what's coming or reviewing what's ended, you know, based on both calendar and work done just so that it's very easy. So the beginning and ending of each day, preparing and, and reflecting on what you did. The biggest thing, though, is communication. After I've met someone new or someone important or someone I want to connect with, sure. I make sure to personally follow up with them, whether it be through a handwritten note, you know, texting and emails are becoming more common, but I don't think they're personal. So my right. recommendation is I do personal notes. That's great. All right. Second question. What is one book that you either recommend to people regularly or that you found to be extremely helpful for you in your career? It's a little parochial, but it's called Battleground New Jersey, and it is the evolution of New Jersey's uh, political, uh, judicial, and constitutional system. And it is the story of a reformer, Republican, versus a boss Democrat, uh, both from big cities back when cities used to also be Republican. Sure. And it navigates the history of New Jersey's uh, rise from a crazy judicial system of anything goes with judges doing hearings in their house and their kitchen wow. to having a constitutional convention and, and literally creating a legal and justice system that many other states in the country modeled theirs after. So it's called Battleground New Jersey, Boss Haig versus Alexander Vanderbilt. I think folks even from outside New Jersey would enjoy it. And it's written by the author, uh, Nelson Johnson, who wrote Boardwalk Empire, which sure. became the HBO series. The HBO series. And also part of the lesson there is maybe you're not in New Jersey and that book is not for you for whatever reason, learn about the history of your state oh, yeah. or your area, especially if you're in this business and learning things like that can really help you tremendously when you get into public forums and you get into these projects. And uh, So to that point, I've worked in New Jersey government, politics and transportation my entire career, which is now, you know, longer than I just had my 20th high school reunion, which I was shocked that I can't believe that much time went. But the point is I've spent my entire life and career in New Jersey and in New Jersey politics statewide. I learned so much from this book. It's become the Bible. I give it to friends now. I there give it go. to people. So, yeah. It's all about yeah. learning. All right. Two more questions. When you think back on the different managers that you've worked for in your career, and you don't have to give me a name here, but what I'm interested in is what maybe made one of them stand out? What makes, like, I'm, what we're trying to get out here is like what makes for an effective manager and what we do? And what do you remember about a very a great manager that you had? I think you learn from all managers, and I've had some great bosses and I've had some bad, bad, bad bosses. And you yeah. learn from both, right? Yep. That's important to point to make a point about. The best manager I ever had was like a parent to me as if I had been a teenager. And what I mean by that is like you need structure. You're a talented guy, I'm a talented guy, we have connections. I mean, if I just ran wild and did whatever I wanted to do, I'd probably break a lot more eggs than I needed to make the omelet. Yeah. A strong manager gives you the freedom to embrace your talents and run with them, but provides enough structure so that even if it's a wide lane, right, it's the balance. You're still in the too, lane, yeah. right? Um, because you know, if like I said, too much freedom, you'll hang yourself. Not enough freedom, and you you feel you know. I think more people feel that way, which is that they don't have the, the autonomy to chase their own ideas sure. or go after you. That they're too much in a box. So I would say that the balance of structure but not too much uh, enclosures is the key. Yeah, it's a good one. And the reason that that's so difficult, I think, for especially for engineers is because they are – there's no equation because every person's different. There's a lot of variables. So you kind of have to feel each person out, understand what kind of a leash you can give them. Right. And so that's just an important thing. It's not something you can plug in the computer and say, you know, go talk to this person for 10 minutes every day or something right. like well, it's that. It's like we said earlier on. It's not black and white. Like my whole life and career is in the gray. Right. I have to 
adhere to black and white at times, but I live in the gray. Right. So that's that's know. that's what makes things difficult sometimes. All right. So one final question, and we call this the civil engineering career elevator advice question. So if you got into an elevator with a let's say a civil engineering professional. Um, based on your knowledge and your career so far, you had like 30 seconds with them before they got off the elevator and they wanted some career advice. What would you tell him or her? Network professionally. Don't stick to just your discipline or just your company. There's no harm and there's only benefit in meeting peers and networking. And that's not just because I know some of the folks listening will be like, ah, then you'll leave my company or someone will right. stay. No. One of the things I've found fascinating about this industry is the teaming. And the partnering, because coming out of the contractor world, yeah. contractors are all trying to kill each other, not team with each other, right? And I think this industry has done a much better job of showing that teaming and partnering can lead to better projects and right. better results. I'd say down to the individual professional level, the same thing goes. The more you're networking, the more you're meeting people, talking to people. I know for a lot of engineers, personal interaction is not their favorite thing to do, right? right. Like, you know, they don't have the, the mouth and the personality of like an Italian guy from New Jersey. But the, <laughs> but the reality is, is that you should always be networking, always be expanding your network and meeting more people. Because what do we all do? It's all about people, right? And so the more people you know and the wider your network, the more broad also your view of the world will be, which will help you in your job. Right. You know, it's not a black and white world. It's a big wide world out there. And the more perspective you have and the more shared experiences or learning from other people will benefit you in your job even if all you do is design culverts all day that's okay because if you understand the greater picture that that culvert is part of it will benefit you your company possibly the submittal you're putting in will be a little bit more innovative whatever it is network 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 meet people meet peers and, and keep yourself out there yeah well anthony listen from one Anthony to another, thank you so much. For been, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, yeah. Spending time with us on the podcast. I think you really gave our listeners some things to think about in terms of their career, in terms of their progressions. And I certainly wish you all the best in your work here at AECOM. No, thank you so much. Thanks, Anthony. Well, thanks again for coming along on the ride with me to AECOM's offices in Piscataway, New Jersey. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Anthony. It was some really interesting stuff, these topics around connected and autonomous vehicles. I mean, the future is very interesting for our industry, no doubt. And we're going to continue to dive into different topics like this. And please, just a reminder, if you are interested in building your management skills, please consider the Engineering Management Accelerator online workshop. We will be running more sessions in 2019. You can find out all the information at engineer2manager.com. Again, that's engineer to manager.com. And remember, you can find the show notes for this episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com. Look for episode number 104. There you will find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during the episode. Until next time, I wish you all the best in your civil engineering career endeavors. Thank you for listening to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Be sure to visit civilengineeringpodcast.com, where you can listen to past episodes and also submit your project to be featured on the show. We also invite you to visit our main website at engineeringcareercoach.com and download a free three-part video series created specifically for engineers to help you best utilize LinkedIn for networking, improve your communication and speaking skills, and also help to develop your leadership abilities. Now is the time to engineer your own success.